Hello, Graham Norton here on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose for another podcast. Let's get cracking. Joe Cole, who has starred in Peaky Blinders and Gangs of London, is back and on the stage at the Young Vic in a production of The Homecoming. Show chef Martha is juggling a tray of chicken and some dates. And Maria McCurlin is making two appearances. She'll be chatting about her memoir, Bumps in the Road, and, of course, she'll be solving your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Let's cross to her now. Virgin Radio. Maria. <laughs> oh, we haven't heard from him for a while. <laughs> Creaky man. <laughs> Dear Graham and Maria, my partner no longer makes an effort with me to be intimate, and I feel like I need more. We've discussed this, and I sadly realise it's not going to come from him. So I'd like to open relationship up to chat online with others. He's jealous and won't like me doing so, but I believe compromise (laughs) should happen from both sides. It's not fair if I simply have to do without anything just because he wants to. Brackets. Or rather, doesn't want to. The way I see it is that my compromise would be to promise to never meet up with anyone and keeping it strictly online. I love him in all the other ways we need, we both need, to keep a relationship going, but we are on different pages about this issue. And any advice? That is from Rob in Nottingham. You don't say how long you've been together, Rob, in Nottingham. I mean, if it's only a year, I would be alarmed. I would say maybe this isn't the right one. But, but, you know, look, the... The gold dust and the glitter starts to tarnish after a while in that department. And one has to make efforts because, you know, intimacy is the glue that holds you together, that kind of the things that you just do with that person. So I can understand that he's jealous about you doing it, going online and, you know, checking in with boys online or whatever. Um, I mean... He can do that too, and then you'll be jealous, Rob, in Nottingham, but it sounds like he's not that bothered. So when people have two different levels of drive, shall we say, it can be difficult. So a compromise would be, perhaps, to do that, but it's a slippery slope because you say, uh, I promise I'll never meet up with anyone. Well, put that to the test because suddenly you do want to meet up with someone. So, I mean, I would try everything in your power, Robin Nottingham, to spice up what you have, to make it an interesting life after dark, shall we say, Uh, rather than, you know, things have got boring, things have got stale. It happens to everybody, so don't feel that it's just you. But I think by doing this, it's a bit like by inviting someone else in. Ah, you know, I know quite a lot of people that have done that, inviting someone else in and then they split up and then the person they invited in goes off with one of them. So it's like you're just playing with fire slightly. Also, I kind of feel like, you know, you want to open up your relationship. It's like you want to open up your problem because what... What are you doing here, Rob? Are you going to go back to your boyfriend and go, well, the listeners of Virgin Radio said, this is fine, I should be able to do this. And uh, the person who has to think it's fine is your boyfriend. It doesn't matter what we think. You know, our permission doesn't make it it doesn't make it more or less problematic. No, mine does. Be- be- yes, yours does, obviously, yeah. No, Maria McCurlin yeah. said, yeah. I could do that. Yeah. No, no so, I think, so I think, you know, that's... Uh, you need you need to just work it through with him. And 
I wonder what's what is happening here. Is he depressed? Because you kind of think I get it. How you know the as you say that kind of the first flush of kind of you know heady heady kind of whatever might go away lustiness. But you kind of think if somebody you know I, why would somebody want to stop it altogether? It seems strange. I, yeah. I, what's going on there? Yeah. But Rob, uh, yeah, Graham is right. You know, by asking, you've already made up your mind how to get <clears throat> around this problem, which is to go online and promise that you know he's jealous of that. He's right. He knows it's a slippery slope. So you do have to get to the root of your partner's problem and find out why, what's the issue. And, you know, you do have different drives, but uh, just, you know, even if it's like occasional. Or just some couple counselling or something. There might be, because your relationship seems fine, as you say. You love each other. Everything In all else, other ways. Everything else is working. It's just that bit. So maybe some couples counselling could help because I feel like... You, you know, I, what you're describing does sound sort of harmless and da 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 da. But Maria's absolutely right. The minute you set rules, you're going to want to break them. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I'll never meet them. I'll only meet them once. Mm-hmm. I'll never bring them here. Uh, well, I won't bring them here more than once. <laughs> I won't live with them. Well, oh, goodbye. <laughs> I'll never go to a hotel. I'll never leave you. Bye. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, be careful, Rob. I think I, I think what's the problem here, Rob, is there's underlying issues. Um, because there normally is. It's not just about that, you know, oh, no, I'm, I've got a headache or whatever. So I think Graham's right. If you go to a counsellor, then you can both speak with, a, with safety, with a third party involved and say the things that are troubling you. Even if you only go to a few, you can iron things out without it turning into a fight or without people not saying what they really mean. Yeah. Communication, as ever, is key. Key. Eight seven double two. Start your text with the word virgin if you've advice for Rob in Nottingham or Jenna in Portsmouth. Uh, I will talk to you later in the show. Yes. For your, just after 12, I believe, we're doing uh, Bumps my in other the Road. Role. My yes, other role. As a memoirista. Graham's Guide. Uh, Rob is in Nottingham. By the way, my favourite responders will be getting the Christmas chocolate panettone, courtesy of Waitrose. Uh, Rob essentially is in a relationship. Uh, uh, and his partner no longer interested in, you know, the more intimate side of things. And uh, Rob's thinking of opening it up, but just online, he would never meet people. But really it's making the partner jealous. And, you know, it's... I think he wrote to us looking for permission. I wondered what the waitress... Um, at the waitress... The virgin <laughs> listeners would think. Uh, John on Staley Bridge says, This can't be easy for either of you. I would highly recommend relate couples counselling to discuss what could be behind the issues you are facing together. It's often hard to discuss these things without feeling personally attacked. Secondly, we always associate intimacy with being physical with each other. Intimacy can be created in so many other ways. You are, If you are wanting to get this from other people, uh, you are admitting it is the end of your relationship and wanting to have your cake and eating it. Hi, Graham and Maria. Advice for Rob. Instead of sitting around demanding from your partner and whining, which for the record is itself a big turnoff, why not make the effort yourself with him instead of self-gratification from strangers? If you love him so much, then you can work it out together. Making him jealous is not the answer. So says Kay in Gloucestershire. Uh, Graham is in Dumfries and Galloway. Uh, 
Rob does not say why his partner does not want to be physical with him. There needs to be some honest talking here. His suggestion of only meeting people has disaster written all over it. Don't do it unless his partner can accept him being physical with other men. I was in a relationship with someone for six years and we were not physical. That's how I met my current partner of 12 and a half years. Start talking, Rob, and start listening. Be happy. Okay, well, there's a lot going on there with the Virgin listeners. Um, I'm going to give... Um, I'm going to give the Christmas chocolate panettone to John in Staley Bridge. That's what I'm going to do. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. And that leads us nicely into Mr Joe Cole. Hello, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Hey, very nice to see you. Uh, so the homecoming. Yes. Uh, proper big Harold Pinter classic. That's it. Um, it. It hasn't been on in London for a while, I think, has it? So I hear. I mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> That's when what it they was... tell me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't. And to be honest with you, I didn't know a great deal about um, this play. Obviously, no Harold Pinter. No, he's got a theatre named after him, so he must have done something right <laughs> in his career. Um, and when I got sent this, I I read it and I didn't understand what the hell it was about or what it meant or you know there's not necessarily a clear-cut beginning middle and end where somebody dies and the lover wins at the end it's it's bonkers so it's a family but it it, basically it's a family they're living in the east end yeah and is it your brother that comes back that's it yeah so it's a working class family of men the uh our mothers died many years ago and it's you know boxers and 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 butchers and a pimp and our brother who's an intellectual comes back from the states with his partner um to visit his old family and this sort of whole bizarre thing of one-upmanship and power play uh between this this woman and also between the family members takes place um yeah it's uh it's quite dysfunctional. And what I'm... is It's you, you're Lenny, and yeah. you have a lot going on. Your dad, it, there's a lot of contention between the two of you. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's it. So Jared Harris is playing my dad. Oh, he's, he's so good. He's brilliant. He's not done theatre in, I think, 17 years. Wow. I've, not, I've done, done it in about 12, even though I look about 12. You know, so <laughs> some days of the week. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's this relationship between these two, the sort of... I'm the middle brother... Um, him and and you just sort of see how these these people um, sort of interact with each other. So you're in rehearsal right now. Yeah. But yeah. when will you go in front of an audience? Do you do previews at the Young Vic or does it just go? Does it just open? Do I think we do a week of previews? Um, so we start on November twenty seventh. Okay. And then the press night is the following week. And then it runs right. Like it's. <laughs> Are they putting up some Christmas decorations? We have a break at Christmas. <laughs> oh, okay. Because yeah, it, they... it goes right through to uh, the 27th of January. Yeah, no, they're not inhumane. We've got lives. Oh, so that's I think, nice. I think, I think the 24th, we're off until New Year. Oh, No really? one wants to go to the theatre that week, do they? I mean, Probably I've, not to see I've The seen... Homecoming. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've seen shows on Christmas Eve and everybody in the audience is sitting there going, who booked it six months ago, going, why the hell did I book this? I've got so much to do before tomorrow. You know what I mean? Nobody yeah. wants to see a show on Christmas Eve. But, and also, you don't want to see someone else's dysfunctional family. You've <laughs> no. got your own to deal yeah. with. <laughs> well, no, but then maybe that'll make you feel good about yourself. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's, it's maybe it's not so bad, such a bad thing. 
Um, and it's directed by Matthew Dunster. If people don't know, explain how posh he is. Yeah, Matthew is the poshest man I've ever known. He, he um, Matthew's um, a working class boy from um, from from Manchester, uh, where my dad's from as well, actually. Um, and I think he's the he's the he's the perfect guy yeah. to sort of to to bring this to life. You know, it's uh, and and you know, it's been a real joy joy working with him. Yeah, but he's had big. West End hits. I mean, he's got, yeah. yeah, he's got some miles under his belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he, I mean, he's, he's done his due diligence. He's, he's, he's worked his way up, and 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 he's and he's he's very good at what he does. You know, so it's been yeah, it's been a it's been a joy. And because Harold Pinter is now no longer in the world, because it used to be Harold Pinter was kind of like you know the script was the absolute bible and you couldn't mess with it at mm. all. Yeah. Is is it a bit more flexible now that he's? I just learn the gist of it and then just give it <laughs> give it a spin, you know, on the day, you know, just sort of read it as I go on. Um, yeah, it's funny because I mean. It, you, you stick to the script, obviously, yeah. and, and one of the things that ha- Harold Pinter's very famous for is his pauses. So there's yeah. all these pauses throughout that you've you've got to adhere to, really. And if you get and when you get them right, it's just electric. So that's been really fun, I think, for me, and I think for this cast and Matthew as well. You know, I'm all about truth. It needs to be real. It needs to be when you're on stage. I don't want the audience going, "Oh, this is a play," and that's a full stop, and that's a that, and that's a that. Yeah. I want the audience to believe this character, and I want the audience to believe this family, and I think. First and foremost, that's what we do. But the script is so brilliant that you can do that in the parameters of saying his words. Yeah. And what do you think it's going to be like? You know, you're talking about getting those pauses right. When you have an audience, uh, like, because suddenly there's another element in that pause. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That Well, that well, that's it. It's um, Matthew sort of describes it as finding the... the, the the dynamic of the pause. So it's not just waiting, it's finding your motivation. (laughs) What is the reason? Like, are you moving? Are you, you know, are you changing a pace? Are you changing tone? What is it? And that's, so it's having sort of a a dynamism for each each pause. But yeah, hopefully when the audience is there, it'll it'll mean something more. I'm talking to Joe Cole. Uh, Joe Cole plays Lenny in The Homecoming at the Young Vic in London. It all starts on the 27th of November and goes right through till uh, the end of January. You can get tickets at youngvic.org. And we're talking about kind of tensions in family and stuff because your brother, Finn, he's also an actor. Yeah, that's it. So is yeah. he younger? Finn's younger. Yeah, okay. I've got four four younger brothers to count there, um, <laughs> and Finn's one of them. And yeah, I um, is he the only one that's decided? He's he the might... only one who's acting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was doing Peaky Blinders, and uh, they were they were doing open casting for season two to play a cousin, like uh, to play a, a cousin of ours big part new sort of one of the new lead roles and they were casting out of Birmingham and all of that and I was looking at my brother at Christmas and I was just sort of like I reckon he could he could give this a shot you know I'd seen him in a couple of very ropey school plays yeah um but I was like maybe if I sort of worked with him a bit and anyway I sent him the stuffs wanted to see if he had if the application he went away he learned the accent he did loads of prep he called me up he's like I'm ready to thing and I was going to send him into the casting director, but I decided to film with him at home and I filmed on my iPhone and we worked a little bit. And then long story short, he did a bunch of auditions and he got the role. And it was honestly my proudest achievement, I think, in, in, in what I've done. Wow. Yeah, it was like, it was an amazing opportunity to see something and then help them sort of get the opportunity. He went and smashed yeah. it. 
and uh, and and happy days. And and now it's now I've got somebody who's very very close to me, and we have a lot of commonality. We can yeah, talk yeah. about certain things that you can't discuss with other people. You know, we can talk about you know producers and and money and 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 whatever we're got with fame. You know, to a relative extent, yeah, and yeah, just yeah. it's it's really it's been it's been great having a sort of partner as you as yeah. you. And did someone do that for you? Did someone help open the door for you? No, I just did it myself. Did you really just do it? Yeah, yeah I, of course. Everybody, you know, there, there's there's so, there's many people along the way, isn't there? Yeah. So I had a well, fan. it's just that thing, you know, so many actors now are posh because, in, because it's very hard to break into the business, you know, and, yeah. there, you know, particularly when you're young and struggling and starting, yeah. you know, there isn't much money there. So Yeah, it, I mean, for, so for me... Had a great. I went to a very, you know, regular sort of state school in 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 South South London, and had a fantastic drama teacher. That was the first thing. Yeah. So we're putting on plays all the time, and you're getting a bug, you know. Then I did the National Youth Theatre, um, which is a two week summer course in the UK, and I met a brilliant director there called Ricky Beadle Blair, and he, you know, he he was just inspirational on a whole new level, and I started doing it, you know, doing what he said, and started auditioning, and I started writing. And he encouraged me to write, and then I, I think I was about twenty. I wrote a television show and sent it to Matt Lucas. I'd done a, I'd done one day on Come Fly with me, and Matt Lucas had taken a photo of me on the app Fat Booth, which was an app that makes your face really fat. Yeah, yeah. So I had his personal email address. I've got Matt's email address on there. I'm just started acting. I'm nineteen twenty. I wrote this show about a breakup I'd had in Kingston and a bunch of my friends and things like that. And then I sent it. To, uh, I wrote to Matt and I said, "Would you read it and give me some feedback?" You know. And then, long story short, me and Matt set up a company to make the show. We never actually made it, but I was getting commissioned by ITV, and I got I got a really good agent. I signed with Troika, who I know you used to yeah, be with. Yeah, yeah. So I signed with Connor at Troika, and and that's when it started to grow. So, so that's what I always say to young actors. It's like there's always a way. And I, I, in those early years, when everyone was out partying, I was writing all the time, and yeah. I was writing scripts, and I was turning up at the, the Royal Court and hanging out in the bar and just trying to sort of let people know that I was around. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that, that, I didn't know any of that story. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think I saw you at a couple of those Troika parties in, uh -oh. early, in the early days. <laughs> no, you were holding it down. Was I? Okay. <laughs> I wasn't vomiting in a corner or anything. <laughs> oh, that's good. And what was the Young Vic? Did you do some training at the Young Vic? I did, uh, I did a short play at the Young Vic, which was, I think it was only a few nights. So okay. yeah, yeah, not not training, but yeah, did a, did a, 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 a kind of a gala sort of uh, Thing at the Young Vic. Yeah, and now it's come ago. full circle. Here you are starring <laughs> in the homecoming at the Young Vic. Uh, the uh, the um, homecoming, it kicks off on the 27th of November and you can get tickets at youngvic.org. Uh, Joe Cole, what a pleasure. Thank you so Lovely much for coming you. in to see us. And uh, are you back? You know, you've got a day off. Uh, no, I'm going to do ADR now for another show. Oh, okay. Always working. Always working. <laughs> we never sleep. <laughs> All right. Take care of yourself, <laughs> Thank sir. You. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. More from Maria to come. We'll be chatting about her memoir, Bumps in the Road. But first, ding, ding. Hello, Martha. Martha. Um, I wish people could shout at their smart speaker, uh, can I smell the studio, please? Because it is... Oh, the smell in here is just gorgeous. Oh, I wheeled it through the studio and someone said, oh, it smells like Sunday. It smells like a Sunday roast. It does, doesn't it? It does yes. have a lot of those aromas about it. Mmm, that's lovely. So it's a tray bake. What is in our tray bake? It's a tray bake. It's a roast chicken and date tray bake. Okay. Two things that you might not think of putting together very often. 
Okay. Um, and uh, this is by uh, Georgina Hayden. It is, yes. Yeah. She's got a lovely spread in the Waitrose Food magazine this month. If you pick up the November issue with the lovely Christmas things on the front, um, it's got loads of recipes from her of in-season fruits. So there's stuff on pomegranate, stuff on dates. And this is one of the medjool date recipes. Medjool? I know. <laughs> extra fancy dates. Because um, Georgina Hayden, she did that amazing book about uh, Lent, Mediterranean Lenten recipes. Yes, she had done several books. That one, the most recent, Natissima, I think. Is that what it's called? called? I never know. I love it. I might be pronouncing it wrong, but <laughs> it's yeah. yeah, full of great recipes. She does yeah. really lovely stuff. And they're all kind of veggie and vegan, but you, they're, mm. they're really unusual. They're really quirky and odd mm. and just delicious. Uh, so this, presumably, is ideal. You just you just pile, do you pile it all in the tray and then shove it in and then, you know, yeah. don't you don't need to think about it. Yeah, it's been a lovely morning. I was having a cup of tea. Nice. <laughs> Waiting for my roast chicken to go. No, yeah. and it's done with chicken thighs as well. So we're not taking a whole chicken, so it's not got hours in the oven. It's a less than an hour, start to finish. So it's all portioned up. Exactly, and it makes its own gravy. And what do you? What more could you are, want? <laughs> are we do? Is this a meal in itself, or do we need some rice or mash or something with it? I think rice or potatoes or something would be nice, or maybe salad. Well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not salad. Yeah. <laughs> Sa- then Martha started talking about salad. Oh, I'm really lost interest. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Well, you're listening to the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose and I'm chatting to Martha Collison who has created a delicious, I now know because I've eaten it against the clock, uh, <laughs> roast chicken and date trapping. Why does chickens take so much nicer when it's on the bone? I don't know exactly why. I guess it's how it should be. Less processing. And you get so much flavour from the bones. When you're making stock and gravies, they yeah, always yeah. recommend that you stick them in, don't they? So I'm and guessing... does it say... Yeah, I feel like maybe... Does it say more moist if it's got on the bone? I Definitely don't know. more moist. Yeah. And you can keep the skin attached as well, which I think is what keeps in the moisture, mainly. Mm. <laughs> uh, right, talk us through it. Uh, how do we start? So this is such a lovely, simple recipe. It's one of those ones that you read and go, oh, great. Two, I think it's two steps. Yeah, two steps. You go, great, I can do two steps. Um, So you want to preheat your oven to 190 degrees. Mm -hmm. Take yourself out a big roasting tray. Get quite a large one because we're putting in, I think it's eight little fillets of chicken. So there needs to be space for them all to get nice and crispy. First goes in the dates. So we're using medjool dates, which are kind of the posher kind of date. You can get them in the fresh section. Everyone always thinks dates are dried, but actually medjool dates are a fresh fruit. And actually, they're almost, I mean, you know, we were saying a potato, but they're almost like a kind of starch in this. They do. They absorb so much of the flavour yeah. and they, they're they so sweet because they've got such a high sugar content that they just provide a lovely contrast to the very acidic sauce. So the dates go in first, then we're chopping up four shallots, those kind of long enchilon banana shallots. Banana shallots. They go in and then we've got four cloves of garlic. You don't need to peel them, you just need to give them a bash to get the kind of aromatics coming out. Mm -hmm. They all go into the tin. Then we're taking the chicken thighs, skin on, bone in, arrange them in your tin, sprinkle over some smoked paprika, Mm -hmm. season well with salt and pepper. Then the final things to go in is drizzle of olive oil, a lemon sliced up to give it a little bit of acidity, a pack of oregano, fresh oregano, such an overlooked herb. It really is. You just get it dried and you put it in like a tomato pasta sauce and that's all that people do with it. But when it's fresh, it's almost like a little bit furry. It's like a... Do you know who loves oregano? No, I don't. Victoria Hislop. Oh. Yeah. She likes the Greek. She brings it in fresh oregano from Greece. (gasps) 
Yeah. I need to come in when she comes no, in. No, she brought me a lovely packet of it the last time she was here. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'll put that one in my notebook. <laughs> so, sorry, I just I'll harass her for So, some you, we put in the lemon, we put in fresh oregano. And then the final thing is white wine. So, 200 millilitres of white wine. If you don't drink white wine, you can buy those little cans and then you can just pour the whole can in. Oh, that's, that's clever. Then you're not wasting any. But yeah. Most people, I'm sure, would manage their way through a bottle. But I think so. <laughs> buy an practical. extra can. <laughs> yeah, and one for the chicken. Yeah, yeah. one for the chicken. <laughs> um, and then it, the whole thing goes into the oven for 45 minutes until the skin is nice and crispy, the chicken is cooked through, and then it's kind of made this lovely thick sauce where the chicken juices have mingled with the wine and the lemon and the dates have soaked it all up. Yeah, so with rice, couscous, something like that. Do you know what? There are. I bet you there are a lot of people listening to this now that go, oh, actually, I can do that. Exactly. That is so simple. And it's one big tray. And also, now, this is really lazy. What if you buy one of those tinfoil things? You don't even have to wash. <laughs> but no, no, no. <laughs> you, just, you can just do it. It's just a good saying. recipe, too, if you've got kind of people who are a bit fussy with flavours or dates, because the dates aren't, like, ground up in and put all over the chicken. They're... They stay whole, so you can have one on the side, or you can leave it. I like. I, it's a great <laughs> recipe because people can not eat it. People can be picky. You can just have a piece of paprika chicken if you want. Yeah. <laughs> I a, recommend it all together. It's a really, really useful <laughs> recipe. It's by Georgina uh, Hayden. If you can find the full recipe at waitress.com slash showchef. Uh, and also, all of, any recipe that Martha's mentioned on the show will be there, and you can see the full visual delights of the roast chicken and date tray bake on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. You're back tomorrow morning. I uh, am. What are we getting? I'm back in doing a nice little bake. Actually, quite a big bake. Oh, a big, a big, <laughs> a big, a big bake. bake. Leave lots of <laughs> <No>. room. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I hope you're here in time and it doesn't flood in the kitchen. Was oh, it all? Me was, too. It, was it dry today? We're back to normal today. We're Lovely. all good. That's <laughs> Home good. and dry. Good to know. Uh, thank you very much for that. That is delicious. That set me up for Saturday. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. And I'm joined now by another showbiz legend, Maria McCurlin. Memoir. Oh, very good. Very good. That's a hard word. And I've come in my persona as a a writer instead of usual. I've got a sort of Toya Wilcox wig on. Yes. You haven't gone gone full Murder, She Wrote. Um, It's... It's it's a sort of murder she punked. It's uh, yeah, no, it's like kind it. of pinky. It's in the book. The wig is in the book. That's all. It, it features. So was this a kind of a, a lockdown project for you? Well, it's not. I sort of started in lockdown, yes, because you know twiddling thumbs and you can only watch Joe Exotic and uh, uh, what what else? Ozark. We were watching, weren't we? Um, and then I got poorly. I had to be in hospital and so on. That's in there. Um, and then I sort of didn't do it for a while, and then I did. Yeah, and. I mean, it's interesting when people kind of sit down and try to do this, because you've done it in kind of bite-sized chunks, haven't you? Yes, it's about each section of my life. I've always loved bicycles, so from the get-go, bicycle, which bike, da 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 so bikes through the through the ages. And, of course, as we know these days, bikes don't last very long, they get nicked and da-da-da-da. Oh and um, the last time was last weekend, I caught somebody d- taking my saddle off. No. Forgot to tell you that. Yeah, I was yes. in the hairdressers and I was just paying. And then I saw this sort of ne'er-do-well 
got his, my saddle under his arm and was fiddling with the back bike, back wheel. Stupid of me, flick levers, which means you can get them off easy. And so I just went out and did, just went and I sort of, no! <laughs> <laughs> like I, this animal sound came out, like I was about to give birth. And then, you know, people stopped and gathered around like, oh, here's a show. Um, yeah. And then I ended up feeling sorry for him because, you know, it was just for a, Quick fix, obviously. He did. So you gave him the bike? <laughs> yeah, I gave him the bike and, <laughs> and, two, car. and 200 pounds. No, I just said, put it back, put the bike back. And then somebody said to me, the police are coming, the police are coming. And he looked so panic stricken, and I just said to him, run. <laughs> Run. I'm giving you a head start. Your time starts now. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, nobody... I, I was going for lunch. I didn't want to hang around for the police. No. And also, he hadn't done it. But anyway, yeah, bikes get stolen, bikes get destroyed, etc. So all the bikes through my life with kind of like how I was changing each revolution of the wheel, if you like, contributing to each evolution of my life. Yes. And now, as I say on the back of the book, yeah, uh, that, I've, that I've known you for years, but actually, I must have just spent all this time talking about myself because I didn't know a lot of these stories. Yeah, I know, but the problem is when you kind of dredge up your life is I wouldn't come to you or any of my friends and say, oh, well, this happened or that happened. You know, things happen and then it passes and then you kind of forget about it or put it in a box and it's boring to talk about things like, you know, I have shared things with you in the past yes. and, and likewise, you know, that's what friends do. But when you go in depth about these things and who knows why you put things in a book about your life, um, and leave some things out. Um, but I think you're very self-aware in the book. Like, looking back, you're very aware of that you kind of invented yourself. When you came to London, you decided to become this yeah, other woman. Yeah, which is, I was just talking to Lee Francis outside, who has been many inventions, yeah. about it's much easier because then it's not you. It's not, you know, you, you're you creating this character, if you like. And I grew up as a working class girl in Bletchley in a council house. My dad worked in a factory. My mum was a housewife. And, you know, my first boyfriend, his father was a um, literary, English literary professor at UEA, you know, specialising in Milton. And his mother was a psychotherapist. I mean, where does this little girl sit in that? And I, I just remember feeling like... Like you're never enough. But you get around that by asking lots of questions yeah. and making sure that it doesn't come back to you. When people ask questions about you, so tell me about your... You know, I never wanted to do that. Well, because this is weird, because I think we are all that thing, aren't we? Uh, that weird mix of attention-seeking and also very shy. Yeah. Which, you, know, it's, you can't explain that to anyone. Yeah. It's like you want to push it back, but you also... It's funny, Graham. you know, because I talk a bit about fame. People say to me, why aren't you more famous? And I don't think I ever wanted to be enough. Yes, of course, getting free things and um, having money and all of those things and being on... But the, as you know, there's a price to pay. And I watched Robbie Williams' documentary this week, which is, you know, made me think, why did you not just stop doing it, mate? But it's like an addiction. That adoration is like an addiction, but it fame costs, it as is. they say. Well, you in say you're not famous, film. but your face has been on telly. Well, my face has been on telly, and my voice is a bit known. But people do say to me a lot. I get this a lot. Um, you look 
really familiar. Where do I know you from? And of course, that's a way to see, you know, in a minute, it's going to be you've been on television or what have you been in, etc, etc. So I have that sort of face. And it's either that they think I work in the co-op or the bank or something like that. But I always say now, because it closes things down, when someone says, your face looks terribly familiar, I say, that's because we've slept together. <laughs> so I've managed to get Bill Nye on that one, who looked momentary, very panic stricken. <laughs> And Christian Slater, when we were at the other place, yes. um, who looked equally horrified. And then I was with you when we went to see Madonna and um, Rosie O'Donnell. Do you remember? I <laughs> yes. was there. You looked at me slightly horrified. And she said, oh, I've only slept with nine people. I'll have to check. <laughs> So it's a good way of closing things down. Yeah, you push her into double digits. Uh, yes. <laughs> well done. Well done, you. Um, you talk about relationships in the book, and there's a, a really weird story, which is why I love it. Okay. And, and also, it's kind of uh, what, I what I really like about the book is, so it's very funny. Uh, there's a lot of sadness in the book, but also it's there's darkness in the book. So you were, I guess, about 11 or 12, yeah, yeah. and there was a boy... Was he trying to flirt with you? Yes, I think we used to play in the wreck on the seesaws and he used to flirt with me and he did that. Boys used to have spitting competitions, I think you probably remember that. Yes. Um, and Bef one... Before afternoon telly. Yes, exactly, before, <laughs> before Crossroads at 4.30. And um, he one day changed his trajectory and spat on my back, which was horrible. Um, but that was how people flirted in the olden days, playing British Bulldog, things like that, and, you know, spitting on someone's back. It was not a winner as far as I was concerned. Yeah. But, but then, you know, he was one of the boys that played in the wreck. He's a bit older. I got a bit older. And then there was a murder that happened. I used to do a paper round. There was a murder. Um, I don't know why this is funny, but it makes me laugh. I know. And Clockwork Orange had just come out and we'd been to see it, the Droogs and... Uh, uh, what did they talk? NASDAQ or something. They spoke in front. I didn't really understand it because I was too young, but it was... Anyway, there's a murder in Clockwork Orange, which is why he goes on to um, get therapy. And this was likened to a Clockwork Orange murder. And the defence... So was it a big fame... Was it kind of in the papers, this murder? It was massive, yeah. It was massive, because I was saying to you earlier, things don't, like that don't seem to happen. And, but anyway, they do happen. Of course they do, but in a tiny little place called Bletchley. And it was uh, Richard Palmer who had done the murder. Your flirting boy. And my flirting boy had done the murder. Yes, that's all I look for now in a man. I don't... <laughs> but will, will he kill for me? <laughs> And it was, you know, it was horrible. And I had to cancel my paper round that week because there was yeah. a murderer on the loose. See, the, I'm amazed I don't know that story because I would tell people that story within minutes of meeting them. If I was in the lift going down to think, okay, by the way, I know someone who's uh, murdered someone. Yeah, and, and his defence was, I remember this, and it's, you know, on public record, his defence was he couldn't possibly have done this because Clockwork Orange was, a, a you know, X-rated or whatever. You had to be... 18 and he was only 16 at the time like kids didn't get in I saw it and I was only 14 you know you put on a bit of pearly eyes lipstick some eyeliner and put your head down and paid your money and that's it Maria's telling us about her memoir Bumps in the Road it is out on the 17th of November and uh, another minute <laughs> of your life I love it when you decide you're going to do stand-up so you weren't you weren't called Maria McCurlane 
No, I was, this was the 80s, so people had comedy names. There was Mark My Words, for example. It's a bit like drag get drag names now. Yes. But for stand-up... What was Joe Brown called? The Sea Monster? The Sea Monster, yes. Um, I know, there was a reason for it, and it's a joke that led up to that. And it was a very funny joke, but I can't remember it. Um, so I was Maria Callas, spelt C-A-L-L-O-U-S. Now, it's a long time since Maria Callas, the opera singer, has died. <laughs> but it was, you know, my attempt at humour at the time. And again, it was like disassociating yourself from who you really are. Early yeah. disassociation yeah. to the stand-up circuit. And I'd, you know, just come out of sort of bad eating disorder and I was a bit mad and didn't know who I was. And I thought, yeah, stand-up's the thing for me. Perfect. <laughs> and when I wrote, I wrote a lot of stuff, which I thought was very funny. And I showed it to Vicky Pyle, who produced Smack the Pony and Green Wing and various other things. And she said, yeah, but where are the jokes? <laughs> And I said, but it's just, isn't it enough to have funny thoughts about things? And she said, no, an audience has to feel confident enough to know that there's a lead up, pause, and then a punchline and they can relax. They know, they know where to laugh. They know where to laugh. So I had to rethink that. But you did it, you went to the Edinburgh Festival. I mean, you I were successful. Did. I did go to the Edinburgh Festival with lovely Johnny Immaterial. Again, a funny comedy name. Um, he's a brilliant children's writer now. But one night, I think it was a late live, you know, it was, from 12 o'clock till 2 in the morning and people were very drunk and in those days they used to be really horrible now I think audiences are a bit more relaxed or maybe not I think they're getting horrible again but anyway, oh, are they yeah, are yeah. they well good job we don't do stand up anymore and, and I was just going down the toilet and people shouting show us your bosoms and and you're too ugly to have sex with and lots of things like that and I just thought oh I can't be I'll pretend to faint <laughs> And that's what I did. And apparently in comedy circles, that's not good. People don't think, you know, you're meant to style it out. You're meant to take your punishment. Even if you only do five minutes of a 20 minute set, don't faint. You don't. No, don't, don't faint. Um, I, I like... Uh, I learned how to faint at drama school, so I thought I should put it into good use, Graham. Do you see? Come on. And why did you stop doing stand-up? I think... Um, I stopped because I started to get other work, writing and performing, and, you know, I was starting to get a bit known in that circuit. And also I had a partner who died, and then I, after he died, I kind of did a lot of gigs that I had to do because I'd booked them. So the Secret Policeman's Ball at the Duke of York's Theatre. Yeah. And I was just like this walking horror, really, and not functioning. And I just thought, I can't do this. I can't stand up. Let's talk about the tears of a clown. Yeah. I felt like I was sort of standing outside myself. Yeah. And you can't say, hey, here's a funny thing. My partner just died. Well, some people do. They do now a bit. People now do much more of a sort of exposing of their, whatever they have, ADHD yeah. or whatever. And but yeah, so You feel like now comics would be slightly thrilled because they, oh, there's my Edinburgh show. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a whole hour yeah, on death. Yeah. yeah, I'll cry at the end. Uh, yeah, Perry Award, mine. Well, yeah. maybe we're, we're, we weren't as cynical, perhaps. You then. weren't as Maria Callas as you thought. I wasn't, yeah. It was a stupid name to choose and I didn't do very well at it. So I kind of, you know, it had a natural ending for me. But yeah. I still, and I love, my favourite joke which made me want to do it in the first place was Steve Wright. I don't know if everyone yes. remembers him. Not from Radio 2, but the comic, which was, um, if at first you don't succeed, then maybe skydiving is not for you. <laughs> Which I own. I loved him. Yeah. Is he still funny? 
Uh, I think he is. He's still going, isn't he? Yeah, people, are, people behind the glass are yeah, nodding. Yeah, good, good, like, good. Like, like they know. <laughs> yes. Steve Wright's family are going, this is not funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was the 1800s, by the way. <laughs> it when... was a long time ago. Um, and what did you... Did you learn anything about yourself writing this book? I learnt that um, your memory can come back to you because I was thinking, oh, my goodness, just been talking to Lee about this as well. He's got a book out in March, memoir. Um, and... I did what they did with some of the people that got kidnapped with um, McCarthy, John McCarthy. And uh, one of them, I think the American something man, he went through his life every day. He went through his life and every day he tried to remember a bit more about this bit. and So if you put yourself into a state of kind of lull, you can. And I remembered a lot more than I thought I did. Those bits were harder than obviously latter. Yeah. But um, I, I learnt quite a lot about the upbringing and how it affects you. Well, how it affects everybody who has different upbringings. You know, whatever they are, happy or sad, is going to have a, an effect on you. And it's how you play those effects. It's, yeah, how do you play the car- the hand you're dealt? Yeah. And at the end of it, I mean, are you sort of, are you glad you did it? Did you come out kind of feeling, oh, look at me, I'm, you know, I'm a survivor? Well, at the end of it, I just thought, does anyone care? <laughs> We do, we do. I, I know. But no, at the end of it, I thought, well, there, you know, I'll, I'll, I've done 80,000 words. Yeah. And um, hopefully when they edit it down, it'll be 5,000 words. <laughs> no. No, it's no, a, no. It's a whole book. Uh, Bumps in the Road is the name of the book. It's a memoir. It is out on Thursday. The 17th, yes. Uh, good luck. Hey, thanks for talking to me about it. Well, no, I, why wouldn't we? Because, you know, we have people who write books all the time. I'm so. just remembering future. You know, you said I scarcely knew any of these stories. If you ask me questions, Graham, <laughs> I may tell you the answer. I've got lovely stories from 1960. Oh, that's good. By the way, Steve Wright's still alive and he's only 67. What? I know, I thought he was about 90. (laughs) I think he went bald early. Oh my goodness, he was young. Yeah, I know, who knew? Funny man though, look up his work if you're thinking. Well, you can go see him, he's only 67. (laughs) He's probably on tour. so much for listening today. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. Follow us on all of our socials to keep up to date and make sure you check out our YouTube channel too. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK and you'll find loads of great interviews and live sessions. Until next time. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.